Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. The first thing I always tell people when they say they want to do a fundraiser is create an event that people would want to go to even if it wasn't a fundraiser. I know it's a challenge. It's easier in cities like L.A. or New York where we have lots of celebrities running around. But it shouldn't be punishment. So I'm here today with publicist and messaging guru Howard Bragman, arguably one of the most prominent Hollywood publicists. I'm not sure uh, Howard would argue with that, as well as the vice chairman of Reputation.com. Through the years, Howard has represented a wide variety of clients from Cameron Diaz to Sony to AIDS Project Los Angeles and has done a ton of crisis management work representing folks like the Lewinsky family. He currently runs a shop called 15 Minutes and has written a book called Where's My 15 Minutes? So welcome, Howard. How are you? I'm prominent, damn it. I'm prominent. <laughs> well, let me tell you how prominent you are, Howard. You know the quotes that authors secure from well-known people when their book is about to be published, the ones that you work so hard to secure? Academy Award-winning producer Steve Tisch said this about you. At the end of the seventh day, God realized he needed a publicist. So God made a couple of calls. Everyone recommended Howard Bragman, and the rest is history. Fess up, Howard. Did you write that quote for Steve Tisch? No, he wrote it himself. But you want to know what's funny? I mean, people talk about the PR business, say, wow, it's really kind of a new business, isn't it? And actually, the PR business is in the Bible. If you go to the, the Old Testament, as my people do, Moses and God are talking, and God said, I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments, and you presented everybody, and Moses said, God, I'm not real articulate. And God said, I'll tell you what, your brother Aaron's you know, a pretty good talker. I'll tell you what to say, you tell Aaron. And so Aaron was the first publicist, and it's biblical. So we're the second oldest profession. <laughs> so here I am. Maybe my, uh, my listeners are wondering why I've uh, dragged Howard Bragman onto a podcast. Well, I have three very specific reasons. First of all, Howard plays regularly in the nonprofit space. He's done work in the AIDS and HIV community, on Jewish causes, and the First Amendment protections. He's received awards from APLA, from GLAD, from Congregation Kolomi, and something I did not know, which is that you founded the Jewish Image Awards, honoring positive portrayals of Jews in television and film. Yeah, because everybody knows there's hardly any Jews in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so, number two reason to have Howard Bragman on a podcast. Good sticky messages are good sticky messages regardless of the organization. And the third one represents my own personal bias. Nonprofit organizations do not message well. So let's start with core messaging. You've seen and been involved with so many great nonprofits, but sometimes they just don't seem to get their messaging right. What do you think great messaging from a nonprofit looks like? What do you think are the core elements? Well, there's two parts to it. One is making sure that they get their messaging down, that it's simple messaging and everybody agrees. Okay, that's probably the hardest thing is, is coming to this agreement that these are our core messages. Clearly but you're it, talking about internal agreement. Yeah, internal agreement, board agreement, staff agreement, 
defining the organization, if you will, the elevator pitch of the organization. You know, a lot of organizations spend a lot of time and money writing mission statements, writing what they do. It's really important that they do this. It's not something that should happen in a vacuum and not something that a marketing director should sit at his desk one day and just whip out. But isn't the, but the challenge in that is you've got a lot of cooks in the way you described it. Absolutely. But messages at their heart, successful messaging is pretty simple messaging. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't get too complicated, you keep it simple, you should probably be able to do it. And if you can't do it, it may really point to other problems in the organization, yeah, quite frankly. Um, but <laughs> so number one is you have to get to consensus on messaging. And once you get to that consensus, then what you have to understand is that this message has to be consistent against all platforms. When the staff is talking about the organization, when the clients are talking about the organization, when the board is talking about the organization, on social media, in mainstream media. Can I put you on the spot? Can you think of a nonprofit organization in any sector that you think does it really well? I think the Red Cross is really pretty strong in messaging. I think most people understand, and, and that's not a judgment on the organization because I think there are probably other problems with the organization. Right. But I think when you see the Red Cross and people understand the Red Cross helps people in disaster situations, I think, you know, simple is better. But let me say this, okay? I was on the board of AIDS Project Los Angeles for many years. Okay, AIDS Project Los Angeles is a social service agency that helps across many areas of the AIDS and HIV crisis. They provide food, they provide caseworkers, they they provide counseling, they do groups, they do many things. Another great organization in in the AIDS world is Project Angel Food. Project Mm -hmm. Angel Food in LA does one thing, they give food to people with AIDS, HIV, and life-threatening illnesses. Right. Certainly a lot easier to message, we bring food to people with AIDS and HIV and life-threatening illnesses, than it is to say, we provide 12 different range of services. So some organizations have a natural advantage when it comes to messaging, and some are a little more complicated. So just a hypothetical situation for you, Howard. Let's say you're a small communications department in a nonprofit. So you got a communications director, a press person, so the person who designs the materials, and then you've got a webmaster. So let's say you got a 20, 15, $20 million budget. So your budget size is not small, but you also don't have a lot of firepower in terms of people who have the ability to strategically think about messaging and cutting through the clutter to be able to get those messages out. Thoughts about that? Sort of, if that's if that's your organization, you know, can you do that without spending a lot of money? I think you can. I think you know, my own public relations firm inevitably has one or two nonprofits we represent, and those are things that people who work here are passionate about, or one of our key clients are passionate about. If you're a not-for-profit, look to your donors, look to your resources, look to your supporters, and see is there any PR professional out there or messaging professional out there who could maybe give you a little of their time. It'd be shocked. All you have to do is ask, and most people are willing to come in for a couple hours. And it, it may be, you know, most nonprofits have off-sites, and it's, it's often a very good 
opportunity to spend an hour or two on these very issues of message and media, I think it's well worthwhile when you have your, your key constituents together. So I think the help is out there and not for a lot of money. Yeah, good point. I do think that a lot of nonprofits don't realize the, the sort of the treasures that are in their groups of stakeholders. So I wanted to talk about fundraisers. And so particularly, you know, every fundraiser you go to, the executive director gets dragged out onto the stage and gives some kind of a speech that's supposed to kind of bring together the uh, the centerpiece of messaging about the organization. Some EDs do it well. Some EDs uh, actually don't do it very well. Observations about ED speeches at fundraisers, and if you have an ED that's not a really good public speaker, is it? A, are there different ways to do that? Can, can I'd like to talk about fundraisers in general. Can I go broader first? You, you absolutely may. Yeah, the, the first thing I always tell people when they say they want to do a fundraiser is... Create an event that people would want to go to, even if it wasn't a fundraiser. I know it's a challenge. It's easier in cities like L.A. or New York where we have lots of celebrities running around. But it shouldn't be punishment, okay? <laughs> I, it, it, it shouldn't be holy, you know, oh, God, I got to go there. And, and the second thing is you're very blessed when you have people show up. Okay, and you should treat them like guests. You shouldn't treat them like, aha, we have them. Now we will abuse them. Because you and I have both been to events where the VIP party starts at 5.30 and the charity auction starts at 6.30 and you're sitting down for dinner at 8.30 and, you know... People eat for an hour at 9.30, the show starts, and it goes, you know, 112 minutes. And, you you know, realize you've had people there five, four, five, six hours, yeah. and nobody can handle that. I'm sorry. It's not a marathon. It's not an endurance thing. If you get people there an hour and a half to two and a half hours, if you can't achieve what you need in that time, you're doing something wrong. Agreed. I think if you have an ED, I think you have to be realistic and you have to, if you have an ED who's not particularly articulate, you better have a board member or a board chair who is articulate and you better have the cojones or chutzpah to be able to tell that person that, you know, we're going to use you in a more limited way. So yeah. what do you do? The ED says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Jane Doe and I'm, you know, honored to be the executive director. Thanks for joining us tonight. And then say, I'm going to show you a little video about our organization and what we've done in the past year. And everybody applauds and they say, and now I'd like to introduce you to the host for tonight's event, who is your local newscaster, who's going to keep it moving. And you've given them a prominent role and not punish the audience too much. Yeah. One of the things I think that organizations could be better at uh, is creating what I would call mission-centric events. When you're lucky, as I believe we were at GLAD, you could do an award show where you couldn't forget what the event was about from start to finish. And it may also have fallen into the category you described of, of an interminable length that said you, you didn't need the ED to tell you what the organization was about that the event itself was what I like to call mission-centric. And if organizations can build mission-centric events, 
I think those have greater value, not just in how much money is raised that evening, but in terms of just sort of building uh, goodwill and future donors and stakeholders to the organization. I couldn't agree more. I think you should never forget the organization in those. Right. Nor should you ever forget the fact that you have an audience of people that it's not necessarily about always about what you want to say, but that you actually have to play to an audience of people who've given money and who did actually get all dressed up and shaved. Moving on to messaging topic. I had breakfast yesterday with Alexander Sanger, who's the grandson of Margaret Sanger, the founder of the modern reproductive rights movement. And he he gave me some amazing statistics that relate to messaging. And I wanted to just toss them out for you for your consideration and thoughts. So he said that Gallup did a poll in 1974. 25% of Americans felt that all abortions should be legal. 15% none should be legal, and 60% said some should be legal. Okay, so 25, 15, and 60. Today, Gallup replicates the poll, and the numbers have not changed one iota. And so Planned Parenthood and the reproductive rights sector is really trying to dissect you know what the what the issue is that isn't sort of changing public opinion and they've landed on the notion that the word choice may not be working which i think is very interesting and there's an article i think i sent you this morning that they're trying on different kinds of messages understand so they're in a unique position if you're talking about a breast cancer organization or an autism organization or an hiv organization there's not an opposing organization that says no, let them rot. <laughs> you know, if but if you're if you're Planned Parenthood, there are anti-abortion groups that are aggressively working against your core messages and so, fundraising like hell uh, on those messages. And so, one of the reasons that they remain a little more static than some of the other organizations is perhaps because they have the vocal opposition. Could be, could be, but it's it's very interesting if you're poking around on the internet and blogs that Planned Parenthood is really starting to think about whether or not messaging is at the heart of their, or at least part of their problem, trying on phrases like reproductive justice. Well, and and understand, you know, years ago when I worked at Anheuser-Busch, Michelob used to have this campaign, Weekends Were Made for Michelob. Okay? Uh, sadly, I remember this. Okay, yeah. Well, now that we're in our late 20s, we remember this stuff. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, Michelob did really well on the weekends, and they go, wow, this stuff's not selling during the week, so <laughs> you have to broaden it. And I think pro-choice work. I think it's naive to think that messages do not have to evolve, and I give them a lot of credit for looking at the research and considering how to move the message forward, and I think there's a lesson there for every organization because your message worked today. It might not work two or three years down the road. Yeah, interesting. She, one of the things that one of these articles said was that the word choice does not really capture the complexity and emotion of the issue. And the religious right is quite good at making things very, very simple. And I don't think it's limited to progressive organizations, I can tell you. All sorts of organizations 
mess it up. Um, so, so does the right wing sometimes. Yeah, okay? agreed. So. Agreed, agreed. So one last thing before I send you on your way, and this may be a tease to uh, inviting you back to talk more about it, but I'm fascinated about, uh, you know, I write a lot about boards and what makes them effective. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I think about a lot is a notion that for organizations sometimes finding a celebrity seems like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. You know, if only I can bring on a great celebrity from my board who could champion the cause, raise money, bring all her celebrity friends to our big fundraisers, and all will be well with the world. And I, as somebody who, who dances, uh, dances on the dance floor with uh, celebrities in Hollywood with some regularity, What's the best strategy? Uh, can, a, can a celebrity be successful on a board? And, and a, a, if I'm a nonprofit ED, what advice would you have for me about cultivating a prospect for my board who's a pretty well-known celebrity? You know, as a PR guy, I get requests all the time for my celebrity to do this. And I wrote that about it extensively in my book. Understand what you want a celebrity for. Do you want them to be on an honorary board? Do you want them to walk a red carpet? Do you want them to perform? Or do you want them to be a true board member? Right. I've seen very, very, very few instances of true celebrities being board members. It's hard for most celebrities. They don't control their schedules. Uh, they have other commitments. And I'm not, you know, it's not always the best use of a celebrity. To yeah, be I think that's right. And I also think that there can end up being double standards among board members and their contributions. But I think your point is well taken uh, that, you know, for a while, because we were successful at GLAD in securing celebrities for our events, uh, there was a period of time when we would get calls from other LGBT organizations around the country who perceived us to be sort of the William Morris of the gay community. And, you know, can you get us, <laughs> you know, oh, can you get no. us, you know, can I, you get us the cast of the L word? It's like, no, I got the cast of the L word because I have press galore at the Kodak theater and the publicist has recommended that the cast of the L word be at that event. You know, what can you offer? Um, that exactly, and, and they have to think about what they're offering and who they're offering, and you know how they're going to treat that celebrity. And you had uh, professional PR people and professional staff and volunteers who knew how to treat a celebrity. They would a limo would pick them up. They would uh, somebody would walk them into the event, walk them to the red carpet, accompany them, yep. and they didn't have to figure it out. You made it easy. Well, and and just for the record, for my listeners and viewers. The limos were donated and the escorts were volunteers. We were able to do a lot with a little in that. I mean, you know, we, there we were at the Kodak Theater, but we were able to keep that cost of fundraising amazingly low because, as you said earlier, because we tapped into a universe of stakeholders who wanted to participate in that event and were willing to donate their time and services to do so. But I will tell you that... There are celebrities. Celebrities are looking for the right opportunities. Yes. I've always said that the golden trifecta is a celebrity, a brand, and a cause. Right. And you get three together and you sort of created this wonderful magic that works for all of them in their own way. 
and nobody did it better than Glad, I think. And there, you know, you guys had amazing celebrities, amazing corporate sponsors, you know, an important cause. So you take those three and you're looking and I don't care where you are. There's great talent. You know, all you got to do is watch American Idol and understand the great talent isn't limited to L.A. or New York. There's a lot of people who want to show their stuff in this world and and people will perform and you know so many people like i want whoopi goldberg i want madonna i yeah. want Ellen. you know well these these type of people i can tell you that you know whoopi goldberg was a client of my last agency and this is a woman who would get what 20 invites a day for events <laughs> and it would be like i know she, and then they would start calling i know she would want to go if she just heard about it yeah Right. You know, uh, she does care. It's not to say that she's not passionate, but my God, there's only so much time and and so much bandwidth that anybody has. And think about the second lead on, or think about a theatrical star. Think about somebody who sings at a local cabaret. Right. We're going to draw people or local newscasters are always looking for opportunities to host events because that's part of the charter that local TV stations have. They want their newscasters and such to show up. Exactly. You know, I, I really was going to cut you off after you complimented Glad and end there because it seemed like such a, a warm and fuzzy way to end this conversation. But any last, uh, any last things you'd, you'd like to toss out there in terms of the topics we've been discussing this evening? You know, I just joined, I hadn't been on a board in a while, and I just joined the board of, in Los Angeles, it's the Center Theater Group, which uh-huh. is uh, the preeminent not-for-profit um, theatrical experience in L.A. And we have three theaters, the, the Amundsen, and the, the Tabor, and the Kirk Douglas. And it was good, it's been a while since, and I'm not the most patient man to sit through board meetings can be, I get spielkies, as my people say. I get ants in my pants. <laughs> but it's great to be back. It's great to know that whatever you do, we, you know, every board needs people. And you think you're giving to the board? Let me tell you, anybody who truly serves on a board, and when I say serve, I mean does a commitment and yep. contributes, gets infinitely more than they ever give. Yep. It's, uh. it's an honor and anybody who's on a board is doing holy work in my book and keep up the good work. It is indeed true. I think board service is a privilege. And, uh, and when I write about board service and how it can be more effective and gratifying, it's really a, a lot of it is about that is really sort of whacking people upside the head to say, Hey, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for you to give as much as you get or get as much as you give. (laughs) And on that note, Howard Bragman, it was really nice catching up with you, and I really appreciate your time. Anytime. Thanks, Joe. Okay, take care, Howard. Nonprofits are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.